Told you it was the B team. <laughs> so we are in the midst of this sermon series on life after the resurrection and looking at different moments in the life of the church and the early church community and how they encountered the risen Lord and what did it mean for them? What, what did life look like for them in the wake of the resurrection? So today we are in two passages of Scripture in the New Testament, the first from the Acts of the Apostles, the fourth chapter beginning at the 23rd verse. Hear the word of God. This story takes place just after Peter and John have been released from being held as prisoners uh, by the Sanhedrin guard, and they are coming back to the community of believers and sharing their experience and gathering together in prayer with them. After they were released, Peter and John went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, and when they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus." And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Our second lesson is from the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, the third chapter, beginning at the 14th verse, one of the, the last of the seven letters to the seven churches that come from the revelation of John. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. 
Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read into the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. One of the best things my parents did for me, though I did not sense it at the time, was to insist that upon turning a teenager, I started earning my keep. My first jobs when I was young were in the winter, shoveling people's sidewalks and driveways, and in the summer, mowing their lawns. I added babysitting to the list, and then I finally got to a paper route. I'm sorry there aren't many paper boys or paper girls anymore because I've always said that delivering papers was for me the greatest season of growing up. Some would say that I stopped growing up after that, but nevertheless, if you want to learn about responsibility, customer service, time management, accounting, and the human condition at an early age, start delivering papers. I delivered the Detroit Free Press, and that meant waking up at 5.15 every morning, rain or shine, snow or ice, hopping on my bike, picking up my papers down at the police station, suffering, stuffing them in my handlebar and saddlebag bags, and then delivering them to about 60 customers and two angry dogs. <laughs> the day I looked forward to least each week was Friday, because Friday was collection day. $1.40 if you got the paper seven days a week, $1.05 if you got it only Monday through Saturday. So with my little coin dispenser on my belt, I would walk my route door to door, knock on each door, and wait to see if someone would answer the door. This is where the human condition comes in. Most of my customers were good customers, which meant that I knocked on the door and they opened. Many of them not only opened the door, but seemed happy to see me and were prepared to pay. Many of them were even happy to throw in an extra dime or quarter as a tip. That was the only way paper boys and paper girls made their money back then, tips and tips alone. Many customers were like Mrs. Cannon, who always had her $1.40 on her little stand there by the door and opened the door and were happy to give it along with a few extra pennies. But there would come the time when a few customers were not happy to receive my knock on the door. Collecting on the other side of the street, I would look over on the other side and notice their front doors open and curtains drawn. But then all of a sudden, after I got to their side of the street, I noticed the door was closed and the curtains closed. I'd knock and all I could hear were muffled sounds and shh on the other side. <laughs> Someone opened the door a crack and would say, come back next week. Someone opened the door and negotiate the facts. Yes, Mr. Smith, you owe me for three weeks. I don't think so. I don't think that's right. I think I only owe you for two weeks. No, Mr. Smith, you owe me for three weeks. This was early practice for moderating session meetings. <laughs> Bottom line, when you're a paper boy, you learn that not everybody welcomes your knock on the door. 
Though you have diligently discharged your duty, though you have delivered the goods, though you have faithfully dropped the paper behind the screen door every day, not everybody is willing to open the door in return for you. Not everybody welcomes the person behind the product. So maybe it's not a surprise to hear the apostle in the book of Revelation in the letters to the first century churches use the metaphor that the risen Christ is standing at the door and knocking. That, that behind their religion, that behind their affirmation of the historicity of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, behind their community of fellowship, there was still a person, a living person behind all these things, that the resurrected Jesus was not simply an historic figure, but was a living, current presence knocking on the door of their lives. It's what it meant to be an Easter person. An Easter person is a person who is keenly aware that day after day, Jesus is this living presence tapping on the door of our souls and wishing to indwell our hearts and to shape our lives. Living presence, underline the word living. Jesus is this knock on the door whose intention it is to provoke a response. Answer the door. Or don't answer the door. You've heard me share before a story that Bruce Larson relayed long ago about a judge years ago in Yugoslavia who had an unfortunate accident while standing in his bathtub. He had reached to turn on the bathroom light and was electrocuted. His wife found his body. The town doctor was called and the judge was pronounced dead. The custom in that town was to place the body of the deceased in a room underneath the crypt in the town cemetery the night before burial. So the judge's body was placed there while friends and family prepared what was going to be a very sad funeral. Well, in the middle of the night, the judge came too. And after a while, he figured out where he was. He went to leave and made his way to the gate of the crypt, outside which stood the guard. Could you open the gate, please, he said to the guard. The guard did what any reasonable guard would do. He took off. Fortunately, he returned in a while with a friend to confirm this apparition, and they saw that he was really real, so they opened the door. The judge's first thought was to call his wife to tell her that he was alive. He got no further than, honey, it's me, when, when she screamed and fainted. Next, he went to the house of several friends who all thought that he was a ghost and refused to let, them in, let him into their houses. Finally, in a last desperate measure, he called a friend in a distant city who had not heard of his death and who interceded for him with his family and friends and vouched for his resurrection. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at your door and I'm knocking. It is Jesus' intention to startle, to provoke a response. Because the word he had just used a few verses before to describe one of these early churches, the church at Laodicea, was the word lukewarm. I know your works, Jesus says. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, he says, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That'll get your attention. Because maybe there is more, no more damning indictment 
than the charge of lukewarm. No one likes lukewarm. No one likes lukewarm food. No one likes lukewarm coffee. It's either hot coffee or iced coffee. But none of this lukewarm stuff. And maybe the lukewarmness came because the early church, just decades after the resurrection of Jesus, maybe the, the lukewarmness came because they had lost the sense of the risen Christ. They weren't hearing the knock on the door. No response was being provoked. Maybe they weren't even getting off the couch to answer the door or to draw the drapes. You know, it's a good thing about Jesus. He just wants you to be honest. He just wants you to be honest as to whether you think he really is alive. When he knocks on the door, he'd rather you either hide under the couch or unlock the bolt. Either one acknowledges that you know at least someone's knocking, someone's on the other side. But none of this quiet whispering behind the curtains, none of this polite religion, none of this worship and brunch afterwards, either let me in. Jesus says, or freeze me out. Invite me in for dinner, or let me go hungry, but none of these scraps on the doorstep. Because what Jesus wasn't seeing, apparently, and just over the short history of the early church, was something that got mentioned over and over again in the New Testament in the immediate wake of the resurrection. The Greek word is parousia, and it means boldness, that the apostles preached with boldness, that the early church stood against Rome with boldness, that the early Christians, under threat of persecution, like in our lesson this morning, prayed not for protection, but for boldness. A lukewarm church doesn't pray for boldness. A church that is ambivalent about the resurrection of Jesus does not act with boldness. These early witnesses to the resurrection, they didn't call them Christians. They didn't call them church members. Those early witnesses of the resurrection were called people of the way, and the way was the way of Christ. The way was the self-sacrificing way of loving all the nations of the, of the earth. The way was this boldness that said that we will, they will know us to be followers of Jesus by how we love one another. It was not a boldness of political opinion, for they had no party. It was not a boldness of nationalism, for they had no country. It was not a boldness of social media postings, for they had no Facebook. Imagine that. It was a boldness of tangible love. It was a boldness that came when they opened the door and allowed the resurrected Christ to come in, to commune with them, to prick their passion. You can't be bold without passion. Passion, which comes from the Latin passio, which means to suffer with. Who, Jesus says, are you going to suffer with? You don't get bold until you begin to take on the suffering of another. You don't get bold until you find your passion. You don't get bold until you open the door, allow the resurrected Christ into your soul, presence of Christ, passion, boldness. So what's your passion? Not what's your opinion. Not what's your party. Not what's your perspective. What's your passion? 
And for Jesus, passion always meant people. For Jesus, passion was always about people, every kind of people, poor people, sick people, misguided people, imprisoned people, lonely people. The one who stands at the door and knocks is passionate about his people. And when we take the risk of opening the door and letting him in, he turns off our TVs, he shuts down our computers, he stuffs our smartphones into the garbage disposal, and he says, okay, who are you going to be passionate about? No him and no Han. Who's it going to be? Hungry people? Well, then figure out what you're going to do about hungry people. Imprisoned people? Well, then figure out what you're going to do about imprisoned people. Disadvantaged children? Well, then figure out what you're going to do about disadvantaged children. Disabled veterans? Well, then figure out what you're going to do about disabled veterans. Victims of injustice? Well, then figure out what you're going to do about victims of injustice. Follow me, Jesus says, because we're going to go out and start knocking on doors. Get your can off the couch. Get your nose out of your phone. Get your eyes off the TV and be bold. Don't be praying for protection. Don't be praying for comfort. Don't be praying for the next new thing. Pray for boldness. Pray how big a block on your calendar you're going to commit. Pray how big a check you're going to write. Would that you are either cold or hot, Jesus says. Oh God, oh God, oh God, please. Please, don't be lukewarm.